hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the Jane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So today's guest is an amazing guest. So Dr. Michelle Hone is the founder and manager of The Fit Clinic, which is at The Fit Clinic on Instagram. Uh, the Fit Clinic provides one-to-one nutrition coaching and they are a team of nutritionists specializing in female focus mainly and that's what I wanted to get Michelle on to talk about today. Michelle has a PhD in nutrition from DCU, a sports science from a BSc in sports science from from DCU as well and she's also a published author in several peer-reviewed journals. This is an incredible episode for people who are trying to conceive and that's one of the big things um, that we wanted to kind of talk about, the misconceptions around it, the nutritional, the lifestyle factors that could be implemented, the training, the kind of the body image side of things, there's a lot of changes going on, the the act of kind of like does the pill have an impact on the act of conceiving and uh, a lot of the misconceptions and education systems that we kind of want to talk about as well this is a huge hugely impactful and i think this will help a lot of misinformation kind of out there for a lot of people that are trying to conceive right now there is going to be a baby boom uh, in 2021 and um, from what i can see from a lot of friends and family and uh that is that's out there at the minute so i hope you enjoy the episode uh with with the michelle how are we michelle i'm good how are you i'm good so thank you so much for for coming on so michelle i'm gonna let you talk about how the whole idea of the fit clinic came about because it's growing at a massive rate we're talking off air as well so how did the whole idea of the fit clinic come about Okay, so the funny thing is the fake clinic was actually a total mistake. Like it wasn't intentional at all. So it would have been five and a half years ago I was doing my PhD. So with a PhD, what happens is you get very pigeonholed into one specific area. So you know there you know everything there is to know about this specific area, but nothing outside of it. So I wanted to encourage myself to really continuously educate myself outside of the topic. So I set up a social media, Facebook and an Instagram, and the idea was to put out educational resources for other coaches. So what happened is people started getting in touch for coaching. And initially I was kind of like, it's not what it's about. But then I suppose I said I'd take on two or three people and it just grew from there, I suppose. Um, So we now have a team of eight qualified nutritionists and nutritional therapists who work one-to-one with our clients. It's an it's incredible because I know some of the guys that you've got on board now as well, which is incredible. But the biggest thing that you are focusing on at the minute is people who have digestive issues or female hormone issues. And that's mainly what we're going to be focusing on today. What kind of made you kind of latch you onto that kind of niche uh, compared to going down another route? I think the biggest thing is that with digestive issues and hormonal issues, be it coming off the pill, trying to conceive, hormonal acne, like nutrition is so so powerful i suppose nutrition and lifestyle changes are so powerful and you know yourself from working with so many females the changes that you see are so much more rewarding from like in comparison to something like fat loss um, or sports performance in a way so these are issues that people have been struggling with for years and years have been and have been so miseducated in and it's just so nice to just kind of take them on the path and show them the changes that they can make and the effects that those changes can have on their life you mentioned kind of the miseducation side of things. If there was one area that you kind of latch on to, to kind of improve an area of the education system, what would it be and why? I think the biggest thing would be around like menstrual cycle. So like I remember even in school, I think we were in like sixth class and we were told that like you're supposed to have really bad period pains and migraines and headaches and like it's meant to be this like awful time. And even like I have like apps on my phone 
and it will turn around to me like if I'm due my period and it will like come up being like oh my god it's coming and like an emoji of a volcano and chocolate like kind of suggesting like you're going to have a really crap time and you're going to eat loads of chocolate and it's just it's not meant to be like that that's where I think the real miseducation is like it's such a natural thing it's of course like you're going to have a little bit of PMS um that is really normal but at the same time when it's really debilitating every single month that's when you know okay there's something going wrong so I think that's the main area of miseducation that's a huge area I think when from working with predominantly females it is as soon as they kind of take a step back and they kind of look right I'm actually a big ball of stress or I'm not getting my sleep yeah. correct or my work-life balance or my balance or there's no balance at all they're like oh hang on I actually need to take a step back and as soon as those little little adjustments are made throughout the process it, they feel a lot better but it's yeah. mad that we just run on we run on adrenaline all the time and we just can't continue to do that all the time we're just not made for us as humans no especially not females unfortunately no. <laughs> no. Uh, we can't get away with it no the, the main topic of today because there is going to be a baby boom uh in 2021 yeah. um but i think the most important thing that we need to talk about is get to the apps is getting to the basics of understanding the cycle and how is conceiving possible where's the best time to try and conceive all that kind of thing so i'm gonna let you uh work your magic here okay so strangely enough not all women who are in the trying to conceive process will know how this works so we've actually had women who come to us who are starting down the gauntlet of ivf and they actually haven't been told how this works which is a little bit scary when you think about it so your typical female cycle is on average 28 days but of course there's a large variation some of them will fall like outside of that category in terms of being shorter or much longer, but I suppose that's a conversation for another day. And um, so if we take the kind of typical 20, uh, 28 day cycle. So on average, if you have a 28 day cycle, you'll generally ovulate two weeks before your period, which is day 14. So what happens on that day is you release an egg and it survives for 12 to 24 hours. So it sits there and it waits to be fertilized. So this is the, the only time that you can actually get pregnant. However, sperm will survive for five to generally four to five days inside the female body so your first fertile window window is kind of um so your fertile window is actually five to six days long so this fertile window is kind of like the best time ever in the female cycle so your energy is up your creativity is up it's a really good time to take on a new project your communication skills are at your best like it's a great time for like doing presentations and public speaking and that kind of thing um you're more sociable you'll look better you'll feel better so that peak in estrogen is literally what makes you more attractive to the opposite sex so your body is like willing you to have sex so you can conceive so what happens is if the sperm fertilizes the egg then um the embryo embeds into the lining of the uterus and hey presto you're pretty much pregnant um so if that fertilization doesn't occur then what happens is you shed that lining which is essentially your period so the idea of shedding the lining and getting your period and that bleed every month is if this fertilization doesn't occur, you get your period. So you get that shedding of the lining of your, of your uterus. And um, so essentially that's, that's the idea behind your period. Amazing. And when I think the, another big misconception uh, amongst people and girls uh, is that you can conceive or that most, a lot of girls think that the, when you're on the pill that you are having a, a natural bleed but it's actually an artificial bleed and girls can also think that if they are coming off the period or after off the pill after about like say 10-15 years which seems to be a, a decent stint on it which kind of seems to be the normal as well that they can conceive automatically is, is yeah. that the case or is that not the case 
So yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions when trying to conceive is that if you have a regular cycle, you automatically ovulate each month. So what we can have is what's called an ovulatory cycle. So a cycle where you don't ovulate that month. So this might mean that you have a perfect 28 day cycle. Everything looks great, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you've ovulated that particular month. So that's why it's really important if you're trying to conceive to make sure you're looking out for your ovulation markers. So say, for example, um, increase in basal temperature is going to be one. So if you are tracking your basal temperature every morning on a thermometer to two decimal places, you'll notice an increase in your temperature around ovulation. That's a sign. Um, Some people can get pain either side, um, ovulation pain. That's another sign. Um, You'll notice that you get a change in cervical fluid. So this should change to like a raw egg white consistency. And the other one is ovulation test strips. So these test strips are looking for a luteinizing hormone and that's going to peak just before we ovulate. Um, But just bear in mind that this isn't always effective for anyone who has PCOS. Um, And the reason for that is your luteinizing hormone is often elevated in PCOS. So I would say stick to the other markers in that case. So, so yeah, make sure you're checking out or looking out for your ovulation markers. If you're not ovulating, it may also, you may also notice that you're quite emotional around the days that you're due to ovulate, even though you're supposed to feel really good. Um, You might notice as well that you're experiencing mid-cycle spotting. Um, But this is kind of a confusing one because mid-cycle spotting can also be a sign that you ovulate. So just bear that in mind, it's really confusing. Um, So I find that with clients who are not ovulating each month, it can normally be due to a couple of things. So it could be under eating, it could be over exercising, it could just be high stress that particular month. Um, and then as well, conditions like PCOS and thyroid issues like hypothyroidism. So just important to get those reeled out as well. So the research suggests that taking the pill actually won't hinder your chances of pregnancy later on in life. But I suppose what happens is, um, what a lot of people don't realize or what a lot of women don't realize is that they, as you said, they don't get a real period on the pill. So it's a withdrawal bleed from the drop in hormones during your break week and they never ovulate on the pill. So I suppose it's difficult. It's really disheartening when we have to explain to a woman who hasn't been explained by their GP, you actually haven't had a period in 10 or 15 years. Um, so generally what will happen is for most women, they will get their period within about six months after coming off the pill. But then I suppose we work with more complex cases like be it um, PCOS, hypothalamic amenorrhea, endometriosis, where it's not always that straightforward. So I suppose for most women, it is straightforward within the first six months. But for other women, there will be a little bit more groundwork to do and just getting to the bottom of why their periods are irregular or why their hormones might be out of whack. Is there one pill in particular that kind of takes a little bit longer to come off or is it very, very person dependent? As you've mentioned endometriosis, you mentioned menorrhea. Is there one pill that kind of can take a little bit longer to recover from? Generally, I find the combined pill is the one that takes the longest to recover from. Is there a, is that, yeah, I find that as well. Is there a normal time yeah. frame for someone on that side of things? Generally as well, it's about six months, but I find that it can take a little bit longer. But I again, so like it, 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 yeah. really, yeah. yeah. So it just depends. Like a big thing for us is we find that the reason people went on the pill in the first place in their teens, it that might manifest later on when they when they come off the pill. So they went on the pill because they had no cycle and didn't have any periods, and their GP told them that it was to quote unquote regulate their hormones. 
then generally what can happen is 10 years later, all you've done is kicked the can down the road and kick the issue down the road to deal with later on in life. So it, it, ten, it just tends to depend on, on the particular person. Yeah, I think that the, the, the famous nutrition answer is it depends uh, is, yes. <laughs> is, is the normal answer. Are there any lifestyle factors that kind of the men or women uh, can can kind of lifestyle factors that could hinder the process of conception? I think the thing that we find with most clients or most often with clients is stress hindering the process. So when I talk about stress, I'm not just talking about psychological stress. I'm not just talking about I'm stressed out in work. I'm having an argument with whoever. I have financial stress. So when we talk about stressors, we're talking about calorie deficits. We're talking about fasting, under-eating certain food groups like fats and carbs, over-exercising, in particular high-intensity interval training, under-sleeping. So these are all stressors that we're placing on our bodies on a daily basis. So when we talk about the gym we typically associate the gym with de-stressing or unwinding or clearing our head but some exercise particularly when obviously you know from like your PT background when you're applying progressive overload in a program what you're trying to do is stress your body in order for it to adapt to get stronger to get fitter so this is seen as a stress to the body so I always use the analogy of a stress bucket okay so I have a stress bucket I won't use you as an analogy because you're not a woman, but my breath, my best friend also has a stress bucket. You have one, but I just want to use this comparison. So her stress bucket might be bigger than mine, in which case she can handle more stresses than I can. So what happens is you put all of your stresses into your stress bucket. So your calorie deficit, your high intensity interval training, your under sleeping, your under eating on carbs or fats, that kind of thing. And what can eventually happen for some women is their stress bucket overflows. So when your stress bucket overflows, it's literally like saying to your body, it's literally like your body is saying to you, okay, this is not a safe environment to bring a baby into. So our bodies can really put, essentially what it does is our body puts our reproductive function temporarily on hold for other primary functions. So the reason for this is our female hormones are super, super sensitive to stress. So I wouldn't say to a client, okay, well, you're trying to conceive now, so the gym's gone, you can't exercise more or you can't cut your calories a little bit. But what I would do is I would go through their stress book and look at their individual stresses and see where we can make improvements. When you talk about there about kind of kind of when someone is trying to conceive and kind of the training side of things, I think a lot of people think that they have to go kind of feast or famine that they can't train when they are trying to conceive. What is there a particular type of exercise that they could do or should avoid? Or is it kind of like just to try not to kind of smash yourself into the ground with doing 120 kg squats? (laughs) So my, I don't know if you've heard this before, but my favorite saying is when you're trying to conceive, don't exercise like you're being chased by a bear. (laughs) So if you're doing, as you said, if you're finishing your weight sessions and you literally can't walk or after your Metcons or your wad, you're literally gasping for air on the floor, then it's wise to just pair it back. So I would generally like avoid going into that real red zone training, like anaerobic alactic training um, and just kind of bring it down like to kind of 70 or 80 percent intensity. So you can like, you know yourself, you can still get all the benefits of exercising from doing it at 70 percent. You don't have to absolutely smash yourself every single session. I think if you're if you're completely stressed already and you're not sleeping already and you're trying to run yourself into the ground with training, yes. there's going to be feedback in the body some, somewhere along the line that it's something's just going to shut down or you're just going exactly. to your body's just not going to be able to recover. So I think it is important to like almost as bro as this sounds, leave the ego at the door and yes. 
And if you are working with someone, you have to say to the coach that you are, this is the goal because it is a mindset shift and it's also a body composition shift. It's also just a different goal completely to what you've been doing. Like if you've been dieting for a very long time and that has been your goal and you have say been restrictive eating or you have been doing binge eating or anything like that. It's important to, say what you what that history is when you're working with someone as well do you find that a lot of people or a lot of girls should i say uh, in this case kind of struggle to kind of get their head around the different shift in mindsets towards kind of conceiving yeah it's it's, it totally depends (laughs) again it depends (laughs) but there are some people like who I know a lot of women um, coming to work with us have suffered with their relationship with food for a very long time. So I suppose it's really just about reprogramming what their priorities are. So I suppose at the end of the day, you can eat all the vegetables in the world and do all the training in the world. But if you don't have a period, you're not a healthy female. Like that's just, that's just the way it is. So you don't have that basic function. It's your body is screaming at you to tell you that there's something wrong. So our period's considered our fifth vital sign. So when we don't get it, we have to listen. We have to take a step back and actually listen. So for some women, it's a choice between looking lean and being temporarily infertile or having a little bit more body fat, being at a healthy weight, giving your body the feel that it needs to function optimally and being fertile. So I know which one I choose anyway. I'm, I'm From working with predominantly females, I'm always shocked when girls haven't had their cycles for so so long and and they just they they accept it and this isn't me having a go at anyone this isn't me coming up on my high horse and like before i started doing this i would a a menstrual cycle wouldn't have come into my head if you know what i mean but from working with girls on a daily basis do you think that an education system needs to be improved on that side of things that having no cycle isn't a good thing and i think rather than seeing it as yeah rather than seeing it as kind of like a normal day-to-day occurrence yes exactly so I've had clients come to us and say oh I haven't had a period in like five years but it's fine I don't want to have a baby so what I have to do is try and explain to them your period isn't just about having a baby it is literally such a primary function in your body it's like it makes us feel good so like if you don't have that fluctuation in, in estrogen and progesterone throughout a month then how do you even know what your mood is like? Like you're just kind of flatlining for the whole month. Like you're supposed to feel really, really good from like say day 10 until day 20 and then kind of go into yourself and become a little bit more insular and recluse like as you move into your luteal phase. So without those fluctuations in in hormones, you're just kind of flatlining for the whole month and for however many years that you haven't had a cycle and then it's also not just about getting pregnant it's also super super important for your bone health for preventing all kinds of cancers so it's it's not just about getting pregnant so I think re-educating people that your period isn't just about getting pregnant is so so important I love that and about kind of like tweaking your composition goals as well because I think we all want to be looking a certain way or we can't we can't be lean all year round it's just like it's just exactly. not viable unless you're some genetic yeah. freak um how like you're pregnant at the minute which is amazing um how have you kind of adapted your mindset towards tweaking your, your body composition goals because that is, that's a massive massive thing 
Yeah, to be honest, it's like being totally honest, it's actually been a little bit tough to see the changes. Obviously, it's amazing. But at the same time, I'm kind of coming from a place where if I'm like looking in the mirror being like, mm, I don't know, like I'm just feeling a little bit fluffy. I like do a bit of fasting, do some high intensity interval training. But obviously you can't do that when you're pregnant. Like your primary goal is the baby's health. So bear in mind, I would have a very positive like image of my body and I like have a lot of love and appreciation for my body so I suppose feeling these feelings I can only imagine how tough it is for someone who's going into it who doesn't have a great relationship with their body and with food um but I suppose it's just about taking it back to what is most important and remembering that this is temporary and what the most important thing is and that's I suppose nourishing your baby and making sure that they're getting absolutely everything that they need um but yeah it has been a little bit tough to be honest there, there are certain days where you're like yeah are tougher than other days but um I suppose once once you actually kind of sit down and really think about what you're doing and realizing that it's only temporary um you can you can live with it <laughs> yeah there's like you're, you're 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 quite active anyway so that's yeah. that that's a massive massive change yeah and that side of things um and it it, it can't from working with, with girls who are trying to conceive and how i've conceived it, it it is a there's a massive mindset shift when particularly if they've been kind of like doing a maintenance phase or a dieting phase for for a long time yeah. it's it's a it can be tough but it is as you said it is about having kind of the compassion the empathy towards yourself and saying right this is the long-term goal about having to I'm growing. So I'm trying to grow something in my in, in my body, and this is going to be my goal for the next. It's just a, it's just yeah. adapting a different goal. Like you're growing fingernails. That's the one thing <laughs> that I can never wrap my head around. I'm like, I'm growing fingernails. Like whatever about like the chambers of the heart and the lungs and all that stuff. I'm like fingernails just blow my mind. <laughs> but you just have to remember how incredible that is, and like I feel so lucky to do it. Like every now and then. I'll turn around to my husband and be like, do you realize how special it is for me to be able to feel this? Like, are you like, surely you're jealous that you can't feel these kicks and feel the kicks getting stronger like every day? And he's like, yeah, I suppose. Such a man answer. It's like, yeah. yeah. The shoulder yeah, shot. Exactly. Um, but it's amazing. Are there any supplements that you recommend using when trying to conceive um, for the female side of things? So... I suppose same as yourself I'm sure like we're very much about a food first approach so making sure you're getting the right macronutrients and micronutrients in first and making sure that they're coming from wholesome unprocessed food so once that is covered and um, making sure I suppose once that's covered there's probably three main supplements that you could take so not talking about the more complex cases in terms of like PCOS and people who've been trying to conceive um, for some time the main ones would be um, vitamin D a multivitamin and a fish oil so number one being vitamin d so it's literally important for absolutely everything and um, so sh we should all be getting our vitamin d tested or vitamin d we should all be getting our vitamin d status tested regularly and supplementing appropriately in the winter months um, but in relation to trying to see if it's actually been shown in research to be beneficial in female fertility and especially in women undergoing IVF um, so it's also been shown that women um, mothers presenting with vitamin D deficiency is associated with adverse neonatal outcomes so um, babies being small for their gestational age preterm labor and it being poor detrimental for bone and teeth development so I would make sure that um, before you're trying to conceive your supplement with vitamin D um, 
depending on your vitamin D status and making sure it's suspended in oil. And if it is a chalk based vitamin D that um, you're having it with a meal. So vitamin D is obviously a fat soluble um, vitamin. So having something in that meal that's based around fat would be important. Uh, The second one, as I said, would be a good prenatal supplement. So it's just a really good covers all basis. So one that I would look for is one that contains folate or vitamin B9. So obviously we know that that prevents neural tube defects. So they recommend you take that three months prior to conceiving. Um, so the reason I would say folate instead of folic acid is that folate is the usable form of folic acid in the body. So what's interesting is over half of the population have this genetic mutation, which actually hinders the conversion of folic acid to your usable folate. So I would always guess our clients to use a supplement that has methyl folate. So what that means is the B vitamins have actually gone under that methylation process to make it into that more usable form. So the ideal dosage of folate would be 400 milligrams. Um, so I'd also recommend that your prenatal has iodine. So particularly for anyone who doesn't eat fish or seafood um, or dairy, um, because we know that our thyroid function is super important, especially for the first week, uh, 20 weeks of fetal development. Because essentially what's happening is your, your, the, the baby doesn't have their own thyroid gland or their own thyroid hormone. So our body needs to ramp up that thyroid hormone production in order to support us and support the baby. Um, and iodine is obviously going to be super important for supporting our thyroid. Um, The last one I would recommend is an omega-3 supplement. So one that's higher in DHA than EPA. So what I would recommend is one that has 600 milligrams per day in in that fish oil. So we have our two omega-3 fatty acids, so our EPA and our DHA. But DHA is particularly important for brain and nerve development of the baby. So most fish oils will have a higher percentage of EPA to DHA, and but there's a really, really good one called uh, Wiley's Prenatal um, Fish Oil that has a higher ratio of DHA to EPA. So I would bear in mind that this is very important for during pregnancy and especially in the in trimester three. But I would always tell our clients that when you're trying to conceive, you should actually be acting like you're already pregnant, particularly if you're having difficulty. So taking these supplements is kind of more so for during pregnancy, but having them before pregnancy is is certainly going to be beneficial. I love that. That's I love the way of the first sentence you said when I asked that was it more nutrition than kind of supplementation. And I think that that has to be for that goes across the board. It's like trying to use your nutrition rather than just kind of reaching for all these tablets. Like so many people have all these kind of tablets and capsules in their in yeah. their kitchen on their counter. And you're like, just start with the simple stuff, build the foundations, yeah, and kind of go from exactly. there. But we just grab. So I've been there. Um, I found old packets of stuff there during kind of the Christmas clear out. And I was like, what was I buying this? This before I, I knew it. It's, it's so bad. You mentioned yeah. there about kind of living the lifestyle of when, as if you're pregnant now, what are you, what <clears throat> kind of side th- things with kind of like when it comes to like alcohol and smoking, would you cut them out completely? Or is there a, a dosage that someone could do with alcohol? Yeah. So if we define egg quality as the ability of an egg to go on and form a viable healthy pregnancy, then yes, changes in nutrition and lifestyle can impact egg quality. So what's interesting is fertility experts now think that the decline in fertility as we age is actually mainly as a result of the decline in egg quantity and quality. So what's interesting is older women who use donor eggs from younger women actually have similar pregnancy outcomes to those younger women. So, and as well, the the kind of the traditional belief is that by the time a woman is 40, 
her eggs have accumulated all of these different chromosomal abnormalities but we now think that those abnormalities happen or those kind of defects happen just before ovulation when the egg is maturing so the egg goes through this maturation process of about kind of three to four months this is three to four months before you ovulate so this is the period in which it may strongly be influenced by those kind of changes in nutrition and lifestyle factors so for example, we know from research that folic acid intake pre-pregnancy is going to reduce our incidence of neural tube defects like spina bifida. Um, another one is smoking. So we know from research that smoking is going to massively affect egg quality. Um, the other one is supplementing with CoQ10. So this can be really effective in, in increasing egg quality, particularly in women who are older. So this is so interesting. So basically how it works is every cell in our body contains mitochondria. So these are like little kind of power plants that transform fuel sources into energy that the cell can actually use. So the really cool thing is that eggs actually have 10 times more mitochondria than any cell in the human body. So it needs all of this energy for that I suppose, for the whole process, for the maturation process, for the ovulation process and for the conception process, because it has like all of these different kind of um, duties to fulfill as it goes along the chain. So it also needs energy as well to copy the correct number of chromosomes. So we know that error in the number of copies that are made is um, one of the biggest causes of failure of an embryo to survive in the first week and um, results in early pregnancy loss. So the better an egg's ability to produce energy, the more likely it is to mature and successfully fertilize and go on with eight chromosomal abnormalities. So this is where CoQ10 comes in. So CoQ10 is really effective. Um, it's a really effective enzyme that actually supports this cellular energy production. So it really helps um, increase egg quality um, when supplementing. So as we age, eggs have more structural damage to mitochondria. Um, so it can be really effective in older couples. And as well, um, it's really, it's, it's effective um, to improve sperm health as well. Um, so anyone with difficulty conceiving or anyone um, who's an older couple um, or older mother, older father um, or history of recurring miscarriages, this can be really effective. Um, so that's just a few examples of how changes in nutrition lifestyle can actually impact egg quality. So I suppose if we define egg quality as the ability of an egg to go on and create like a super baby, like a super smart, like perfect baby, we're not really too sure on that one. There's there's no re there's not not much research on it. So for example, we know that a mother's fish oil intake and in particular DHA intake in the third trimester is going to give rise to a baby that's smarter. But we don't know if, say, for example, preconception nutrition and lifestyle have the same effect. Um, but I feel like it's wise to just make positive changes where you can in the kind of three to four months before you decide that you're going to try. Um, that's what we would definitely do with our clients anyway. Um, and then just to note, like just on that kind of three to four month period for women. Um, so the cycle of producing sperm for men takes two months. So that means that there's kind of like a two or three month window before conception where sperm quality can be influenced the most by nutrition and lifestyle factors. So, yeah, I suppose I think the partners, it's the least they can do. <laughs> I think them kind of cleaning up their act in the first few months before trying for a baby. Um, yeah, it's the least they can do considering um, everything that a pregnant woman has to endure over the course of nine months. 
Yeah, I think that I think that's huge yeah. as well. Um, how did you manage Christmas with no booze? I actually loved it, funny enough. Like, to be fair, it was it's the best Christmas you're pregnant. Like, I had absolutely yeah. no FOMO at all. <laughs> so it was grand. Um, and it, it was just such a slow Christmas in general. We didn't really do much socialising at all. Um, so no, I was happy out. Yeah, I think a lot of people, whoever I've spoken to who's pregnant right now, they've kind of said, yeah, this was the easier one out of the whole lot to kind of, it was easier somewhere to do it as well because there wasn't a whole yeah. lot going on as well. Um what are the kind of the biggest misconceptions and stuff like that you see when it comes to when when you kind of deal with clients or work with clients when they're trying to conceive? I know the, the pill one was the one that we mentioned earlier on. Was there any other big myths or misconceptions that you come across? I think the the biggest misconception is that every woman, I suppose we've kind of talked about this already, but every woman coming off the pill will just get pregnant straight away. So as I said, of course, it's it's for most women, it's going to be super straightforward, fortunately. But we work with the more complex cases um, and women who have underlying um, hormonal issues. So I suppose them having been on artificial hormones for 10 years and then trying to come off them and expecting to just for their, their own hormones to just kick in. Um, it doesn't always work out that straightforward. Like, of course, like for most people, it is straightforward. But for some, there can just be a bit more groundwork to do in order to get to the bottom of, of what's going on. Um, say if someone is severely overweight and they're looking to conceive severely overweight is different metrics for every single person um but what would the what kind of take what little interventions would you try to make with that client in order to make the process a little bit easier for them so i would start with um like if they are quite overweight i would start with kind of facilitate facilitating a bit of weight loss um just because again when we look at the literature there is a lot of literature done in terms of um women who are overweight or obese and neonatal outcomes so what their baby will essentially um how their baby will be after birth um so i think it can only benefit them to lose weight and it also makes the process a lot more straightforward um because because weight loss can hinder fertility so the first protocol for me would be um weight loss and getting that individual exercising and um, beforehand definitely when you met we were talking about the kind of the exercise side of things earlier with the the likes of hit which seems to be the the big one that i think not making a sexist comment, but girls seem to kind of go for hit a lot more than lads uh, for whatever reason. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say, but would you advise to, to kind of take that out completely or would you kind of say to someone, do what you like, but just do it in smaller doses? I would always, like in most, for most cases, be it for fat loss, be it obviously for muscle gain, be it for trying to conceive and um, PCOS hormonal balance, I would always tell women to prioritize weight training over cardio or high intensity interval training. It's just, you just get more bang for me, for your, you know yourself, you just get more bang for your book in terms of weight training as opposed to high intensity interval training. Like it can, in terms of trying to conceive, high intensity interval training can be done, but it's just about, again, as you said, looking at your stressors, like, are you sleeping okay? Are you completely under eating? Like if you're, say for example, you're not eating enough fats, all of your sex hormones and all your hormones are made from fats. That's what their structure is made from. So it's so important that you're getting the fats in. And then when we look at carbs, that's obviously going to be really important for our thyroid function. And it's going to be important for keeping our cortisol and our adrenaline down a little bit. Um, And if these are up, it's going to kind of wreak havoc with our female hormones. So um 
I would say look at your stress bucket, look at your stresses and then make a judgment call on how much high intensity interval training you can get done or if you need to pair it back. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people think that high intensity is if they're doing it for a weight loss side of things that they think it's going to burn more calories and so all this kind of stuff. It starts off like it's as I'm going to make another bro statement. It starts off in the kitchen, like it's going to be your nutrition because I think when most people, there was research done recently about kind of running and stuff like that. A lot of people would eat back the calories that they do when they're running, yeah. and without even realizing it because they're. It's like a lot of them. I if I went running, I wouldn't have any food, but when I come home, I'm like I want to eat the wall. Yeah, it's just counterintuitive. Um, we talked about caffeine off air as well. What's yeah. what's the story with caffeine and trying to conceive? So there's no research in terms of trying to conceive, but there is research in terms of pregnancy. So what the, there was actually a paper there released about maybe three or four months ago. And the kind of consensus of the paper was that there's been no safe dosage of caffeine found um, in pregnancy. And um, similar, like pretty much the exact same as alcohol. Um, so I suppose if we don't have any research for preconception, all we can go off is kind of like the theoretical basis of it. So obviously you're going to have like your people who do really well in coffee and they don't really have an effect. Those strange people who can have coffee at 8 p.m. and they go to sleep at 10 just blows my mind. I am not that person. I like if I used to have a coffee after 2 p.m., I would be lying in bed at 2 a.m. like wide awake. So I suppose for me and those people who oxidize ca- caffeine in that way and um, we'll have a coffee and we'll be anxious will be like kind of shaky palpitations heart rate up um and just not really like feeling that great um and obviously it affects our sleep so it makes sense like for people like me and um, that oxidize caffeine in that way what's happening is you're getting a big surge in like your cortisol and your adrenaline and as we said like that's not what you want when you're trying to conceive um so i wouldn't say you can't have caffeine if you're trying to conceive but maybe assess how the caffeine makes you feel like how do you feel after a coffee like an hour later are you like happy out and you get a good gym session going or are you like me where you're literally <laughs> feel like you're about to die <laughs> um so most like I, I would say most women can get away with having like one kind of um good cup of coffee a day um but if, like I've I've had clients come to us who've been struggling I had a particular woman who was struggling with fertility and she was having 14 espresso capsules in a day. And the only thing that we changed was we took out caffeine and she got pregnant straight away. 14. Yeah. Well, I know Nespresso capsules aren't that strong, but at the same time, 14 is a lot. I like, I drink, I drink Nespresso and I'm kind of like 14. I'm like, that's a lot of, a lot of capsules. I know. So the only thing that we changed, because obviously it was such a huge thing for this particular client to change, um, was cutting out caffeine and she was pregnant a month later. Did you wean her off it or did you just kind of go, go, go cold? I weaned her off it. No, I weaned her off it just because like, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. Um, A lot of headaches. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of headaches. Um, so, so yeah, as I said, there is no research behind it, but when you add everything up and you look at the hormonal response that uh, the the hormonal stress response that people some people tend to get after caffeine hit it makes sense to to cut it out or to at least cut cut down on it you've mentioned stress stress seems to be the the big word in kind of i think 
a lot of the episodes that I've done recently, I think a lot of people yeah. do struggle with that whole side of things. Is there any kind of like meditation or yoga or mindfulness techniques that you've brought in for your own routine that you would advise anyone to, to bring in? The biggest thing that I found was journaling. So journaling in the morning and journaling at night. So I've done this for a couple of years and I used to have one of those journals where it asks you specific questions, like three things that you're grateful for this morning or three good things that are going to happen in a day, which is kind of like a goal-orientated question. Um, but now I just kind of write, which is, I kind of prefer just like the pen just goes and I write in the morning and I write in the evening. Um, and it really helps if I'm, like kind of quite anxious about like being pregnant because obviously like you have days where you kind of your mind just runs away with with itself and you're just kind of overthinking everything so it's really good then I find it really helps me to to put pen to paper and for me the kind of mindfulness meditation it's just not really not that it's not for me but I've haven't I just haven't found that it it, it works for me and I'm not I'm a bit of a busybody, <laughs> so I'm not the type of person that can just kind of sit and chill. Um, so in that sense, I find like journaling works and um, some light yoga will work as well. Um, just once I'm kind of moving around a little bit. And the other thing is I've started a hypnobirthing class um, as of last week. So I've been listening to like hypnobirthing tapes before I go to sleep. So, yeah, I suppose they've, they've kind of helped um, all in all. Yeah, I think when people hear journaling, they hear meditation, they kind of like... They think that they're going to become like the Buddha in about five minutes. That ain't yeah. the case. Like, I think, I think when, especially I know for myself, when I first started doing it, I was like, you, you just don't know what's going to come out of your head. You're kind of almost scared of what's yeah. going to come out of your head. I remember looking back at old ones, uh, be the second lockdown. I was like, the headspace compared to like a year ago to where it is now is mad. And you can see the, the yeah. disparity between the two. I think it is important too, because you'll yeah. recognize what your triggers were. You recognize what your moves and recognize what brought you down. I think that's important to realize as well. Uh, particularly because yeah. there's a lot of hormones going on. I, can't, I hate using blaming hormones for everything, but there's a lot of hormones, there's a lot of change going on in the body. I think it is important to kind of, if you're having, um, you need to have a little bit more empathy towards yourself, a bit more compassion. And if you're kind of like snapping at your partner or whoever it may yes. be, <laughs> like, yes. Uh, it's important to kind of like try to recognize the trigger so you don't necessarily happen again or try to tie it reel it in a little bit is what I'm trying to say yeah yeah no the hormone roller coaster is crazy during pregnancy <laughs> it's like um it's very similar what I found is it's very similar to like PMS like kind of the three or four days before I get my period I'd be a bit of a basket case but you kind of get that more on a regular basis <laughs> and it's just like I remember it was about two weeks ago I was, <laughs> I was just sitting at the island and Daryl looked over me he was cooking dinner and I just had tears streaming down my face he was like what's wrong and I was like nothing but everything <laughs> like absolutely nothing wrong with me like not a thing but just so emotional for no reason like that is pregnancy hormones <laughs> i'm running away uh no it's yeah uh, jesus yeah there's nothing going on but there's absolutely everything going on yeah. yeah i think that's a good way to sum it up um michelle where can people find out about the fit clinic where can people find about the work that you do and uh, where can people find out to, to kind of the coaching and stuff like that because you've you, the team is growing so quickly at the minute yeah so i i would say um follow us on instagram it's the fit clinic um or the website is the so we 
offer like a discovery call service so if you're unsure of the whole process and want to have a little chat with us and um, we kind of offer a complimentary 15 minute phone call just to have a chat at where your goals are at at the moment and see if we can kind of make a good match and, and see if we can work together to um to help you um in your journey be it whatever that journey is but the episode has been so helpful um, and it, I think it is important to kind of potentially, if you are trying to conceive, to potentially listen back to it as well, that it is important to look at the nutritional interventions rather than trying to reach for supplements, managing your stress, managing your sleep. The unsexy stuff that a lot of us don't look at, which is yeah. a lot of people don't want to look at either. Uh, but Michelle, thank you so much for, for coming on. No worries at all. Thank you so much for having me.